Hey, I am so glad that you are here this morning. By the way, my name is Ken. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, and especially a shout out to everyone watching online. We love you guys, and we're glad that you're with us through that medium today. But there's something about being in the room, too. And during worship, wasn't that just so phenomenal? I, I love our times of, there's something about declaring the greatness of God together through song. And we can think God's greatness, but praise is when we declare God's greatness, right? In fact, praise requires the voice. It requires whether it's spoken or shouted or whispered or sang. And so there's something about when two or three are gathered and they're declaring the greatness of God together. And we're reminding ourselves, it's not like God is up there going, yeah, tell me more about how awesome I am. It's, it's us reminding ourselves of who he is. And it's just, I, even this morning, I was just like, man, God, just come and wreck us. Do what you need to do. So we're, we're starting a brand new series this morning called The Enemies of Christmas. The Enemies of Christmas. And, you know, the enemies, Ebenezer Scrooge is not the, uh, the Grinch, you know, the abominable snowman. They're not the, the, the wet bandits. They're not the, the actual uh, enemies of Christmas. Um, there are some things that are so much, so much more insidious. There's, there's so much more stealth that are enemies. And, and over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some of those enemies. But before we get into today's enemy, I'm just curious about what is your favorite Christmas movie. And so would you tell the person next to you, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Come on, you got, this is audience participation. What's your favorite, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Love it, love it. I had a guy in the first store, first uh, service, Bill, told me the name of a movie I've never heard before in my life. And uh, so I wrote it down, and I'm learning some new movies. Um, uh, how many of you, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, any of you? Yes? I, for some reason, it's my own tradition. Carrie could have nothing, she could care less about it, but every Christmas Eve before I go to bed, I watch It's a Wonderful, it's a Christmas Eve thing. It's weird. I fall asleep usually in it and at some point wake up, but uh, especially this year after three services. But um, it, how many of you, um, uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, White Christmas, Home Alone, Elf, yeah, come on, Elf, right? Like, so, so I, was asking, I was asking my kids this morning, and for my 14-year-old, her favorite, and it's probably in my top three, her favorite is Home Alone. And if you've never seen Home Alone before, I'm about to, I'm about to give it away. So plug your ears real quick. Um, spoiler alert, it's a movie about a nine-year-old named Kevin who has left home alone. I, know, I just gave it all away. So, uh, and, but, but. The reason why he's left home alone is because of, in a way, the enemy that we're going to talk about today. We're talking about hurry. And one of my favorite scenes is, you know, the whole family, all 1,700 of them, wake up. And how in the world do they all fit in that house? I don't know. And, but they all wake up late. I'm like, okay, sus suspension of belief, right? And uh, they all wake up late. And because of hurry, because of busyness, because of the rush, because of the, you know, the mayhem of Christmas, poor nine-year-old Kevin is left home alone. But one of my favorite scenes, we'll watch this real quick, this is them rushing through the airport, and I just love the song as well, so. Oh, wow, man. Hustle and bustle are synonymous with Christmas, right? In fact, it wouldn't be Christmas if it wasn't for we are so stinking busy, we're so hurried, right? And today we're going to talk about the enemy of Christmas being hurry. And we're going to look in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, this is going to be our primary text, Luke chapter 2. And I know I'm going out of order when it comes to the Christmas account. We're actually going to start today looking at when Jesus is already a month and a half old. We're going to look in Luke chapter 2. 
beginning with verse 25. And as you're turning there, let me give you the context. I, I know we already said uh, uh, Jesus is now 40 days old. 40 days was the, according to Jewish law, when you would take your child to the temple and have them dedicated to the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph have now made another journey, this time a journey to Jerusalem, to the temple, where they're dedicating Jesus. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, like I think of the temple and I would think of like, you know, again, like a Home Alone reference, like this empty cathedral, and you kind of go in there and you do your thing, but that's not the way the temple was at the time of Jesus' birth. The temple was a place of probably, historians tell us, that there would on average be thousands of people between the courtyards, between the exterior of the temple that would be in long lines waiting to sacrifice. There'd be vendors. There'd be individuals who would come from hundreds of miles away to make sacrifices, and so they wouldn't bring the sacrifices with them. They would bring coins or they'd bring other treasure and then they would convert them so you'd have lines of people converting treasure into lambs and goats and and that kind of stuff and it, I mean the place would just be busy if you think of like that airport scene that's how the temple would be and here comes Mary and Joseph with their one and a half month old and I mean they're squeezing through people sorry pardon and they're are we in the right line are we in the line for dedication we want to make sure we're not in you know the wrong sacrifice line or then you got to go to the other line and so they're, they're squeezing through all this and just just think of the mayhem the hustle the bustle of the temple scene and in the midst of it there's two characters and maybe maybe you've never even heard of these people before but they're some of my favorite people in the bible we, we started in Luke chapter 2 verse 25 it says at that time there was a man in in Jerusalem named Simeon. Would you say his name with me? Simeon. Simeon is my man. I love Simeon. Simeon was righteous and he was devout. Devout means, by the way, that he was deeply committed. And you can be devout to all kinds of things. You can be a devout environmentalist. You can be a devout atheist. You can be a devout Republican, a devout Democrat. You can, but he was devout. He was deeply committed to the Lord. It says he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And I love this. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, everybody say that day. That day, this is so huge, verse 27. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Think about it. He is so in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's listening to what the Spirit wants him to hear. He's seeing what the Spirit wants him to see. And that day, the Holy Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God. And we won't keep reading, but he gives this prophetic message to Mary and Joseph regarding baby Jesus. It's incredible. But here's what I want you to get out of the thousands of people that are mulling all around the temple courts and the exterior of the temple. There is a man who is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he sees something that everybody else saw, but they didn't see. And he heard something everybody else heard, but they didn't hear. He got to see Jesus in a way that nobody else got to see him, except for one other person. Skip down to verse 36, and here, here's, this, this woman might become your favorite person in just a moment. She, I love this woman. Verse uh, 36, are you there? Luke chapter 2, verse 36, it says, Anna, everybody say Anna. Anna. Anna's my woman. I love Anna. Anna, a okay, it says she's a prophet, and I got to go sideways, this isn't in the notes, but a prophet, by the way, is someone who boldly declared the word of God. In fact, you could translate it that she was a preacher who declared the word of God. 
So I know there's this, if you've been paying attention to church news, some of you have church news threads or whatever, there's been this whole thing about can women preach, can women lead, can women, you know, all these types of things. I just, I'm not, we're not getting into a sermon on this. I'm just saying there's a woman named Anna who's a preacher in the Bible. So we can have a whole conversation later on about that, but it's right there. Anna, a prophet, a preacher, was also there in the temple and she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. I don't think Anna would appreciate Luke describing her that way, but that's how Luke does it. He says she's very old. He's just blunt. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Listen, if you are in this room and you identify as being old, Anna's your woman, because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. By the way, we need some people like Simeon and Anna today in the church. We need some people who will give God no rest. They're just gonna keep asking and seeking and knocking and saying, I want revival. And I don't just want it for me and so I can have goosebumps. I want it for the next generation. I want the next generation to know of God. I want them to see the works of God, right? And Anna and Simeon, they're just, come on, Lord. We're waiting, we're waiting for the Lord's anointed one. We're, we're, we're waiting, we're, we're, we're anticipating. And so, so she comes along, uh, look at verse 38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem, her old lady book club. <laughs> like she's like, you would not believe what I saw today at the temple. I saw the Messiah. Here's what I want you to get. Anna and Simeon were tuned into the voice of the Holy Spirit. They were able to hear what nobody else heard. They were able to see what nobody else saw because they had, they had found space in their lives to listen. Here's a question I wanna ask you today. I wonder if you would have heard I wonder if you would have seen Jesus that day at the temple. And I gotta tell you, I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would have. I, I have this thing, I'm, I'm one track minded. I, people will say, hey, I saw you at Walmart and I'm like, I didn't see you. I just don't, I don't. I, when I get to Walmart, Carrie's got a list of things that she wants me to get. Like for me, it's a game. I, I, I gamify going to Walmart. It's as soon as I open the door of my car, how quickly can I get back into the car, right? I'm the guy, I'm practically running through Walmart. I'm squeezing through, you know, people who are, they got both of their carts and are talking to each other for an hour because that's like their sense of community. I don't know. I want to go into Walmart and get out of Walmart. Anybody, I hear some, some of you are like, I identify with that, yes, right? And so here's the danger with that. The danger is I don't see the things that God wants me to see. Sometimes I don't hear the things that God wants me to hear. And I think hurry is such a huge enemy, not just to this Christmas season. I think hurry is an enemy to the Christ-centered life. We can be in such a hurry. We can be so busy that we miss out on what God wants us to see. We miss out on what God wants us to hear. I thought it was interesting that hurry comes from a word that the Swedes literally define as to whirl around. To whirl around. In fact, I never caught this because I'm so oblivious to this stuff, but it's literally the word, when we use the word hurricane, it's the same word. Did you know that? 
Hurricane and hurry, they're like the same word. Hurry means to rush to greater and greater speeds, and hurry has become synonymous with Christmas. Corey Ten Boom, who, if you don't, if you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, you, know, you need to know who Corey Ten Boom was. She, during Nazi uh, uh, Germany, during that time in the 1940s, Corey Ten Boom was in Holland, and her and her sister Betsy would hide Jews, and they ended up getting discovered, they ended up getting arrested and put in a concentration camp. They were horrifically treated, in a con- like everybody, right? And actually, Betsy died while in the concentration camp. Corey ended up surviving it. She writes a book called The Hiding Place. And if you, I know most of us don't read books. You should get the audio book of The Hiding Place and listen to it. It is incredible, but that's not in my notes. Anyhow, Corey Ten Boom once said, I love this. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because both sin and hurry have the same exact effect. They cut you off from your connection with God and they cut you off from your connection with others and they cut you off sometimes even from your connection with your own soul. I mean, sometimes, do you ever feel this way? Like, I've gotta just take a break to let my soul catch up with my body because I'm in such a rush, I'm in such a hurry. There's this cycle that, that I think is so true in so many of our lives. And, and this is, I just wanna show you how insidious, like I don't even know if I'm using that word right. Insidious, insidious, insidious. Someone online will help me out. So, so here, here's how, I mean, sometimes you go, well, hurry, is it really that big of a deal? Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's, it's hurry, is that something we really need to be paying? Aren't there greater enemies that you could be talking about? I, I don't know. I think, I think the problem with hurry is that it, if we're not careful, we, we're in such a hurry that we start to spend less time with Jesus. And what happens when I spend less time with Jesus is what that does is it leads to distance from Jesus. I know you guys are all way more holy than I, than I am probably, but when, when I'm in a season where I'm in such a hurry, I mean, there's just so, and usually, usually hurry isn't about bad things. Usually hurry is about good things, right? It's about things I, I have to do. It's, it's, part of, it's part of the obligations. It's part of responsibilities. And, and, and sometimes my life can be consumed with good things that I just haven't had enough self-control to be able to say no to. But what happens is, is now I find myself spending less time with Jesus and the result of spending less time with Jesus is I just don't feel as close to him. Like if you felt a distance in your life, and I'm not saying this is always the reason why there might be a distance. Sometimes there's a distance that's just even testing our faith, right? But sometimes the distance is because I'm just not spending time with him and so I just don't feel close to him. I'm like, God, where are you? What's going on? And sometimes it's, I'm not saying all the time. This isn't, I'm just saying that it's sometimes where it's because I'm just not spending as much time. And here's the problem. When there's distance from Jesus, what that leads to is vulnerable. I'm more vulnerable to culture and I'm more vulnerable to temptation. Right? I mean, is, is yes or Yes. When I'm distanced from God, now all of a sudden, like the things of culture that if I was close to God, I'd have the radar to go, whoa, whoa that's a lie. That's not true, right? Temptation, it becomes more alluring 
when I'm distanced from Jesus. And then here's, here's the problem, is now that I'm vulnerable to culture and temptation, I begin to conform to the world. And what is the world all about? Hurry. Hurry, busyness. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Right? So, okay, thanks, Ken. You've made me feel like a piece of crap, so <laughs> Merry Christmas. Let's pray, right? Like, so, so what do we do with this? How, how do we, well, if we're followers of Jesus, and I hope everybody in this room is a follower of Jesus, what I mean by that is you, you came to a place in your life where you humbled yourself and said, God, I can't do this on my own. I've sinned against you. I'm greedy, I'm selfish, I'm prideful, I'm jealous, I'm lustful. I'm, God, I, I have sinned against you. I need your forgiveness, yes. I need you to cleanse me and forgive me. I need you to lead me. I give my life to you. You lead me. You be in charge of my life. I surrender. I give up. I give in to you, Jesus. That's what, when we talk about becoming a follower of Jesus, that's what we're talking about. It's not, nothing mystical. It's not about going through a class at a church or becoming a member of a church. It's just that moment where it can happen in a service. It can happen on your way home from church where you just go, God, I can't do this anymore. I need you through Jesus. I believe Jesus is Lord. He's the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, you be the master and leader of my life. Now, for followers of Jesus then, when we bump up against hurry and we go, what do I do? What do we do? We look to the example of Jesus. How did Jesus handle hurry and busyness? Was Je- well, first of all, let's ask the question. Was Jesus hurried? Was there the potential, let's put it this way, was there the opportunity for Jesus to live a hurried and busy life? And some of you are like, I don't know. That was like 2,000 years ago where that, that was an agricultural society. It was a different pace of life. Maybe they weren't hurried. Maybe they weren't busy. They were hurried and busy. They were hurried and busy not trying to entertain themselves like our culture is. They were hurried and busy trying to survive. And Jesus in particular, once people discovered that he had a ministry of being able to heal people and drive demons out of people and that he was such an incredible teacher, it opened up the door for more. See, sometimes good things, blessing, doing right, actually opens the door for more busyness and hurry, right? The Gospels describe whole towns gathering to hear him, uh, to have him heal their sick. He was constantly surrounded by crowds. He was always in demand. Jesus knew the temptation of the hurried life, but even though he was the son of God, he recognized, hey, I need to do some things. I need to be intentional. I need to be strategic, or this hurried life is going to lead to less time with the Father. It's going to lead to distance from the Father. It's going to lead to all these things, right? And so what did Jesus do? We're gonna be really practical this morning, okay? This is not gonna be super spiritual stuff we're gonna talk about. In fact, some of you are gonna kind of roll your eyes at some of this. This is so practical of how we can defeat the enemy of hurry. Number one, get alone. Get alone. All the introverts in this room say what? Amen. Amen. Pastor said I need to get alone. I can't come. Not coming to Christmas this year. Okay, no, no, no. I'm not introverts. You might, because I am one, okay? I get this and I resonate with this. But really, we can take this to an extreme. Really, this, if you find your life is in constant motion, in constant hurry, you have got to be strategic and intentional, even putting into your calendar moments where you are going to get along. You say, where did you get this from? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We'll put this up on the screen. Mark 1, 35. It says, the next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak, and he went out. And what's the word there? He went out alone into the wilderness to pray. 
Now listen, so, for some of you, th this is hard. Maybe you're married, you have kids, you live with someone, there's constantly people around. You're like, Ken, I, I would love to get alone. I remember when our kids, you know, we had a season where our kids were all under the age of five, three kids under the age of five. At one point, all three kids were in diapers at the same time. And I remember Carrie like barely surviving, right? Some of you are in that kind of season. You're like, man, I wish. And so when, when you're in that kind of season, you have to be intentional and strategic. How do I find, maybe it's just moments to get alone. Moments. At work, maybe it's occasion. I'm not saying every day you do this, but maybe occasionally it's taking a lunch break. Maybe it's once a week taking a lunch break and finding that place in work where nobody else is going to be around. And you're just going to, you're still going to eat. I'm not saying you got to fast during that time, but you, you, you're just going to be alone. And you're not going to have your phone in front of you. You're not going to have a book in front of you. This is just, this is just a, a moment where you're, you're just letting your head just be clear out for a moment, right? You're not checking scores. You're not listening to a podcast. You, you're just being alone, for a few minutes. For some of you, I, I've had times where driving home from work, I pull into the park, or not pull, parking lot, like we don't have a parking lot at our house. We have a driveway, we have a garage. So pull into the garage and, and instead of just turning off the engine and immediately getting out of the car, just pausing a few beats with the radio off, with my phone not out, and just, to and just sitting there before I open the door and going into the house just to just to be, I, I don't know what it looks like for you, and, and you might need to be creative, and this is where we can ask the Holy Spirit for help, but it's important that we find moments to be alone. Number two, what we just saw from this passage in Mark 135 is go outside. Some of you are like, this, this is a sermon? Yeah, go outside. Look, I'm telling you, this is straight from the word of God. Mark 135, the next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak, and he went out alone, where? Into the wilderness to pray. Mark 6, 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. See, Jesus get. I, I love Jesus because he knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're going through. Jesus is going, we don't even have time to eat. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> right? I mean, this is just, this is right. He, he says, so they left by boat. They left by boat, by a boat, for a quiet place where they could be alone. See, Jesus and his disciples literally had to go outside to a quiet place to be alone. Jesus would do this individually. Jesus would do this with some of his friends. See, most of us, we want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus. We don't want to do what he actually did. So why is it important that we go outside? Dr. Rachel Hopman, a neuroscientist at Northeastern University, uh, and she's, by the way, I'm, I'm gonna quote her, but can I tell you, if you Google this, you will find at least dozens. I was gonna say hundreds, and that could possibly be true, but there's dozens, there's so many studies coming out right now about the, uh, how important this is. She has found, she's a neuroscientist, she has found that just a 20-minute stroll through a park, this can be a park in the middle of an urban city, a 20-minute stroll through a park can produce profound changes in the neurological structure of our brains. She states, quote, this, le this leaves us feeling calmer and with sharper and more productive, creative minds. And then she says, but, there's a disclaimer, there's an asterisk, but we found that people who used their cell phone on the walk saw none of those benefits, Listen, this is science, 
but we see it in the life of Jesus. This was the lifestyle of Jesus. Going outside three times a week for a 20-minute walk and leaving your phone, and if you have an Apple Watch or an Apple Leash, <laughs> taking that thing off and leaving that at home, there, your neural pathways literally begin to be restructured from 20-minute walks three times a week. Now, some of you, I know the pushback, okay? Right now, right about now, you're going, Ken, there's just one problem. I live in Ohio. <laughs> and you're not the only one. Most of us in this room, maybe there's a few visitors, we all live in Ohio, okay? And I can tell you, this is problematic, right? Right about now, this is probably, okay, I get, we live in Ohio, too, so I'm trying to practice what I preach, and me and Dan the man, he's my neighbor, and we've been going out rucking, so we're literally going out with 30, 30 pound backpacks, and the other day we did like 5.2 miles, but Tuesday morning I go out, and I don't know if you guys remember Tuesday, but Tuesday, like the wind chill, it, it was cold, but it was the wind, and it was like, I mean, the, the real feel, I think they were saying, was in the single digits Tuesday morning. And so I'll go out and I feel my face just, especially like when it's, when it's the end of November, beginning of December, because we're not used to it yet. And so by February, we'll be like single digits, man, I'm going to leave my coat at home, right? But right now we're like, oh man, you feel your nose hairs starting to freeze? That's God's way of telling you you need to trim them uh, when you start feeling that. Like, and uh, like, it was so cold. But can I tell you, yeah, you got you to push through that, but there is such benefit to getting out of the house and leaving the phone and leaving the Apple Watch and just going for a walk. It is, it is and you can go with another person. This isn't like you, that you have to go by yourself, but you have to leave your cell phone at home if you're gonna get any benefit from it. You have to leave your cell phone at home. So, so here, you, some of you are going, this is seriously like a point in your sermon. It is, I'm being serious here. Like here, here's the challenge for the next three weeks, because Christmas, y'all, is in three weeks. Turn to the person next to you and say, no way. It, I'm, t- I'm telling you, look at your calendar. Three weeks from tomorrow. So here's your, here, here's your dare. For the next three weeks, just for the next three weeks, can you put in your calendar, you're going to need to do this today or you're not going to do it. Put in your calendar three days a week. And maybe put in four or five just in case it's snowing or just in case you're not feeling it, you can go to the next one. But put in, put in your day 20-minute walks, and I'm telling you, just say I'm doing it for Jesus. You might have to say no to something. You might not be able to watch the whole football game. I promise you, your favorite team's going to lose anyhow. If you're like me, every time I turn on the team, I'm like, Kate will be like, who are we rooting for today? We're rooting for this team. Ah, they lost. Okay. All right, we need, we need to keep going. Number three, okay, so, so number one is get alone. Number two is go outside. Number three is be with God. We, we do this, we do this to be with God. Let, let's go back to Mark 1, 35. The next morning, Jesus woke long before daybreak and he went out alone into the wilderness to, what did he do? To what? Pray. To pray. He went out to pray. For much of my life, I've, I've thought of prayer as just being exclusively talking to God and then about 10, 15 years ago, as I'm already a pastor, like the light bulb comes on, I'm like, prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is listening to God. Prayer is being with God. Prayer is going for a walk and just saying, God, thank you that you're out here with me. 
I don't have any AirPods in my ears, and I don't have my phone with me, and this is just, if you want to say something to me, uh, we're just walking, and this is your time, God. You know, that can be just as spiritual as rattling off your to-do list to God. God, here's the 20 things I expect you to do by tomorrow, if you don't mind. Sometimes more valuable to my soul is just going out and saying, God, I acknowledge you're here with me. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Thank you that you're my comforter and you're my counselor. You're my, and, and, um, would you just lead me? Would you just speak to me? Can I tell you, I, 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 lo- I love, uh, I'm a jogger. I'm not a runner. I'm a jogger. I've kind of come to grips with that. Um, I love going outside without, without things because I get my best ideas. I feel like if God's speaking to me, Nine out of ten times is when I'm outside and I don't have anything with me. That, 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 that's when God is speaking to me. So, so what we're talking about is getting alone, going outside, and just saying, God, this is your time. Would you speak to me? We're still reading the Bible, okay? I'm not a heretic. We're, st- we're still reading scripture. We're still doing our spiritual disciplines. But I think what has happened in the United States is our spiritual disciplines have become so programmed. They've become so, like, checking the list. And so I'm just saying, in addition to doing those things that we need to do, it's saying, I just want to give you time. I love Psalm 23. Unfortunately, Psalm 23 has become the funeral chapter of the Bible, it was never meant to be that. But I just want to read you two verses from Psalm 23. This is David writing. He's writing about the good shepherd. He's seeing God not just as out there and distant, but he's saying, God, you're my good shepherd. He's prophetically even speaking of Jesus, right? He says, he, the good shepherd, lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. I love, this is what God wants for us. Let me, let, me, let me just say that again. This is what God wants for us. But to be with God, you're going to have to say no to someone or you're going to have to say no to something. You're going to have to say no to the lesser, sometimes good things, but you have to say no to the lesser in order that you can say yes to the greater. Because you can't be with two places at one time. I can't be with God and be watching the football game at the same time. We think we multitask, but all the science is saying we don't multitask. I can't say, okay, God, you got this time while I'm scrolling through my phone. I gotta put some things aside and I gotta say, God, you have my undivided attention. Speak to me. I love what Thomas Kelly says. He says this. He says, we feel honestly the pull of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. I feel like he's been looking through my window, like watching my life, right? And we are unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful we shall be shallow. We have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all this hurried existence, a life of unhurried serenity and peace and power. If only we could slip over into that center. So there's been a thread throughout this sermon that maybe, maybe you've picked up on. And that is the danger of these things. So I gave you a dare earlier. The dare was, and I hope we all will try to figure out how to do this. And if you don't do it perfectly, you don't beat yourself up. I mean, if you go out for a walk two days and you wouldn't have gone for a walk two days, then hey, props to you. Good job, okay? By the way, that's if you're physically able. Okay, if you're physically able, don't, don't beat yourself up. If you're physically able, I think we can all find 20 minutes a day 
three days a week to go for a walk, right? Here's my next dare, dare number two. You ready for this? Turn to the person next to you and say, you ready for this? Okay, this is a daily dare. This isn't a three days a week dare. This is a daily dare. I want you to find a box somewhere in your house and for an hour a day, turn to the person next to you and say, one hour. One hour a day. I dare you. In fact, I double dog dare you. Some of you are old enough to know that that means something. I double dog dare you that for one hour a day to put your phone in a box, if you have an Apple Watch, someone in the between services are like, you didn't say anything about Apple Watch. Okay, all the wearables, your tablet, whatever. Just find a big enough box, I guess. Stick them all in a box for one hour. Now I know some of you are already thinking, like I'll do it while I'm sleeping, right? In fact, pastor, I'm gonna be so holy that I'm gonna do it for six hours, seven hours. I'm gonna stick my, I know some of you are like, seven hours? You get seven hours of sleep? No, no, that's cheating. This is gonna be one hour when you would be awake and alert. So if you work first shift and you get home, it's five o'clock or whatever, here's the dare. Sometime between like five o'clock and when you go to bed, you stick your phone in a box for one hour. If you're married, here's a double dog dare, you both do it at the same time. If you have kids, all your whole family, putting the phone just for one hour. You can do this while you're eating, okay? So if you have dinner time, in fact, that's that's a great time to do it, right? Just for, for three weeks. I'm not telling you to do this for the rest of your life. I think you'd be happier. I think your relationships would be stronger. But for three weeks, this is just leading up to Christmas because this is an enemy of Christmas. For the next three weeks, what if every day for one hour, you stick your phone in a box, everybody in your family sticks your phone in a box. You say, Ken, what does, what does that have to do with my relationship with God? Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? And he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And, 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 and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Part of my relationship with God is not just me relating to God vertically, it's relating to the people around me horizontally. One of the best things you can do for your relationship with God is to stick your phones, your wearables, your devices, your electronics, stick them in a box for just one hour. Turn off the TV, because we've got to include that. Got to get a bigger box. <laughs> Some of you are fine. Yeah, game systems, okay. Just, just one hour. Just one hour every day for just three weeks leading up to Christmas. I think you will find that your life is less hurried. Now, watch this. When I'm not in a hurry... What I find is that I spend more time with Jesus, right? Which means that instead of being distant from Jesus, I'm now gonna feel closer to Jesus. Which means instead of being vulnerable to culture and temptation, I'm not gonna be as vulnerable to culture and temptation. Which means that instead of conforming to the world, I'm gonna be conforming to the word of God. Listen, I know this doesn't sound super spiritual, it is so spiritual. An enemy, not just to Christmas, but an enemy to Christ being centered in your life is hurry and busyness. In this season, what I want for you so much, and I think what the Holy Spirit wants for you so much, 
is that when everybody else is in the hustle and bustle, everybody else is running to the airports of their lives, that we are the people who see and hear what nobody else is hearing and seeing because we're living centered lives in Christ. Get along. Go outside. Be with Jesus. Spend time with him. Let him be the center. Would you stand to your feet this morning? So here, here's, here's some accountability. If you're on the social medias, take a picture of your box this week. Post it, tag me, tag Journey Church. Let us see your box, maybe decorate it. You can decorate a box, you can make it fun. You can stick googly eyeballs on it or you can wrap it in Christmas paper or you can do whatever you want. Let, let's see, and well, let's say a picture. I guess it'd be hard to take a picture of your phone. I, some of you don't even know how to, you have no other camera but your phone, right? Tag us and let us see it and, and give, make yourself a little accountable there. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we want your peace. I want your peace. God, I just confess that too much of my life I'm hurried and busy. Sometimes I'm so busy that I miss out on what you want me to see and hear. And I, I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me of that. God, I want to be, my heart's cry is I want to be closer to you. I want to be closer to you. I want to know your voice. And God, I want that for this church. We would not conform to the pattern of this world that is so busy, it's in such a hurry. And really, we're in a hurry for what? To entertain ourselves. So God, I pray that you would speak to each person individually. Show us individually what we need to do to break this enemy this year. And maybe in the process, we would even develop a habit that would take us into 2024. I've got to pray for my friends in this room or maybe those who are watching who don't, they don't know you, they've never surrendered a life to you. God, I pray this would even be a moment of people just humbling themselves and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus. I believe Jesus is the son of God. He was crucified and risen from the dead. Not just so churches could could have right theologies and have right creeds, but so that my sins can be forgiven. Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. You be the master and leader of my life. I want to follow you. I want to follow your pace. I want to have your lifestyle. I speak your peace and your life and your hope over every person in this room. That this Christmas season, we would see you in ways we've never seen you before and we would hear you in ways we've never heard you before. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, hey, before you move, because I know as soon as the pastor says amen at the end, we're like, all right, let's get out of here because we're in a hurry. Ha <laughs> ha, see? See what I, okay. Before you move, and this is not, this can seem very manipulative what I'm about to just, what I'm about to say. I don't mean this in a manipulative way at all. But <laughs> if you want a space to just kind of, maybe you want that hour. This Wednesday is our first Wednesday of the month. We call it First Wednesday Prayer here at Journey. 
and we're going to have our worship center. I'm going to personally be leading our prayer times today at 11, or on Wednesday at 11 a.m. and at 7 p.m. And I can tell you, if you haven't joined us for one of these prayer gatherings, there's something about praying with other people. I know praying by yourself is powerful. You need to do that. I hope you're doing that every day. There's something about praying with other people. So I just want to invite you again this Wednesday at 11 a.m. at 7 p.m., We'd love to have you join us. It's just an hour. That can count for your hour. You can put your phone, leave your phone in the car and, and you'll, you can check off a box for that day, right? And so just wanted to let you know that next week we're gonna be continuing the series. We're gonna be talking about another really important enemy of Christmas and to a Christ-centered life. God bless you guys. We love you. Don't forget your connect cards. Those can go in the white buckets at the back doors as you leave.